Hi, good morning, Grace. Uh, today we're going to be reading from uh, Judges chapter 6, verses 12 through 18. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And were all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the, land, into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of, the, of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not, please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Thanks. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Thanks for braving all the snow to be here today. I know it was probably tough on you with uh, the amount of accumulation that we had. I was thinking about not coming myself today because it was just so much. But uh, thanks for being here. That is awesome. Trust issues. Um, we've been talking about the names of God and how to trust and how to grow our trust. So appreciate you being here today. Those of you watching online, thank you for joining in. Those of you who are here in the room, if you're new and you've never been to Grayson 5, I'd love to meet you right over there at the end of this service in less than five minutes. We'll tell you everything you need to know about, about grace. All right, trust. Why is trust so important, everybody? Trust is a must. Personally, professionally. Personally, professionally, all the studies show trust is a must. Everything goes better when there's trust, period. Period. Everything goes better when there is trust. So what? What elements do we need that create trust? The list is very short. I mean, it's not a long list. It's a powerful list, but it's a short list, very important list. What do you need to trust somebody? Well, here's the things that you'll read. If you, if you Google this or if you just think, if you Google your own brain and you think about it, the list is quite short of things we need. We need somebody of character. We need uh, sacrificial love, unconditional commitment, equality, integrity, Honestly, what you say is what you do. These are the type of people, these are the type of situations that we trust when we experience that. So the list is very short. And the reason we have been studying the names of God, it is in the names of God that God describes himself to us. He describes his character to us, right? The names of God represent the character of God. So we get a clear picture of God. So we saw the first name that God introduces himself to us 35 times in Genesis chapter 1. He only uses one name. It's Elohim. Elohim, it's the all-powerful one who has created every single person in the image of God, which means what? Equality. God is all-powerful, and he creates all of us equal. He equally loves every single one of us. He's equality. And where there's equality with somebody, you can trust that person. That is Elohim. Last week, we said Yahweh. So Elohim is the powerful one. Yahweh is the personal one. Says, I'll never abandon you. You might have noticed Ali read just a minute ago here, right? Gideon says, you abandon us. And God doesn't even bother to answer him back. You abandoned us. doesn't even answer him back because God never abandoned them. God is with them at all times. They abandoned God, but God never abandoned them. So God doesn't even bother to answer it. So today, 
through the story of Gideon, we see the name of God is Adonai, A-D-O-N-I-A, right? Adonai. What does it mean? It means ruler or master. Now, right there, we might have a problem, right? Ruler or master. Like, hey, God, I'm totally cool with, you know, you loving me and being all powerful and creating something out of nothing in my life. And I'm good with that. I'm good with your unconditional love. I'm good with the fact that you're totally committed to me. You'll never abandon me. You're always here for me. But when we start getting into this ruler or master thing, this is a problem for me, God, right? So give me a few minutes. I'm going to see if I can't unpack this uh, this morning, all right? So there's a lot of pictures of God uh, that we have uh, out there, different pictures that people have of God. Have you ever had somebody take a picture of you and uh, it wasn't the best picture, you didn't like it, maybe you didn't like the face that you were making and they posted it on social media somewhere, Facebook, Instagram. Ever happened to you? Bad picture, like, ah, I wish you wouldn't have done that. You should have asked me first. Take the picture. Okay, so there's a lot of bad quality pictures out there and when that happens to us, you know, that we don't like it. There's a lot of bad pictures out there about God and it breaks God's heart. So let's just talk about some of the pictures. There's, you know this, there's tons of pictures, but I mean, the, um, the Golden Globes. What, what won Best Drama, right? What won it for Best Drama in the Golden Globes this year? It's a TV series called The Handmaid's Tale. What's it about? It's about um, selfishness. It's about the abuse of women. Um, it, it's about being judgmental, all in whose name? Take a guess. In God's name. In God's name. We are going to be selfish, abusive to women, and judgmental. Praise His holy name. There's a picture of God, and what breaks God's heart is, is there's a lot of people walking around this world, that's the only picture of God they have in their wallet or on their iPhone. That's it. That's the only picture they have of God. A movie was done a number of years ago called Spotlight. Anybody see the movie Spotlight, right? About the Boston... Um, sexual abuse cases that, that went on. And there's a lot of people walking around this world. That's the only picture they have of God. So why do we have so many names of God in the Bible? Because God wants to give us a higher resolution picture, give us a more accurate view, His view of who He is, not people who distort who He is. And that's why God gives us all these names so we can be clear. So it's a good picture because what breaks the heart of God is when we walk around with a distorted or a bad picture of God. That's why we are studying the name of God. Now, <clears throat> Gideon. Gideon meets God. He meets the angel of the Lord, much like Moses did last week. And when he, when he meets God, God sends him on a mission immediately. He says, I'm sending you on a mission. And what's fascinating is I said this last week, I'll say it again today, is that when people have an encounter with God, all through the Bible, Abraham and Sarah and the disciples and Moses and Gideon, the, when you encounter God, one of the clear marks that you've actually encountered God, it wasn't an emotional experience, it was a real experience, is you feel this sense of calling to go to serve on a mission for his kingdom, for his church, right? This is why, and we'll, we'll, next week we're doing team sign-up. This is one of the reasons we do this. We don't do it. We don't have people get on volunteer teams here at Grace because, oh my gosh, we just need you so desperately. We don't, that's not why we do it. We do it because when you encounter God, you are internally compelled. It's a part of the encounter. It's a sign, yes, I want to serve his kingdom. And God says, Go. I need you to go. I need you to serve. Now, what was happening in the book of Judges? Here is the culture of the entire book of Judges. It's summed up in one verse, uh, one verse in the book of Judges. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. You know another way to say that? You do you. You do you. Everybody. Now, here's the problem with you do you. 
if you do you and you do you and you do you and you do you and everybody does you, eventually, eventually, there's going to be a collision because we don't all want the same things, right? And so they had a big collision. They had a problem and all their freedom was gone and their culture was in chaos as a result of that. So they begin to cry out to God, God, help us. Set us. We're miserable. The culture has turned miserable. God, help us. So I want you to imagine for a moment you're a farmer because it was an agrarian society. So you're a farmer, right? And here was what was happening. Here's how all this was playing out. They, you know, a farmer, you, you're farming your land. And when it comes time for harvest time, in comes the Midianites. In comes this army into the land. And they kind of set up camp for a while while it's harvest time. And you're raising crops so you can feed yourself and feed your family and maybe sell some of it so that you could have a little bit of money, right? And this, these Midianites would come in, they would take everything, totally strip the land of everything. everything. Everybody was starving. Everybody was impoverished, we're told in Judges 6 and 7. They were impoverished because the Midianites were coming in. So they cry out to God, God, help us, deliver us, just like you sent Moses. We need another deliverer. But God doesn't immediately send a deliverer. No, he does something different, which is fascinating. He sends them a sermon. He doesn't send them a deliverer. Eventually he does. That's Gideon. But the first thing he does, he sends them a sermon. And what does he tell them in the sermon? He says, look, you have gotten yourself into this situation because you're worshiping the wrong thing. You're valuing the wrong thing. And if you would stop doing that and value what I value, then you can get yourself out of it. So you're crying out for change. You're regretting the situation you're in. But if you're regretting it, you're in, change. Change. You, you just change. You can, you can control this situation by simply valuing other things, worshiping that you just need to change. When you look at it that way, everybody, I mean, it just totally reminds me of the story, right? That this guy, he goes to work. He's there with his buddy. It's lunch break. He pulls out his, his lunch bag, right? gets this sandwich out. He opens up the sandwich. It's a ham sandwich. And he's like, oh my gosh, ham sandwich again. And his buddy turns to him and says, your wife make you a ham sandwich again? He's like, no, I made it myself. <laughs> we just kind of keep perpetuating. It. You know, that's what he's saying. You're, you're miserable. You can control that situation through worship. You can control it by what you value. You can totally change this. So that's the first message. And then God calls, God calls Gideon. He calls Gideon. And the issue that's going on here is uh, the worship of God, Adonai, which we'll talk about, master ruler, and the worship of Baal. Now, Adonai means master and ruler. You know what Baal means? Baal means master or ruler. So it's like dueling master. Who's going to be your ruler? Who's going to rule over you? And the issue between the two is they had two polar opposite value systems, God and Baal. The worship of God and the worship of Baal were in, con they were just totally, they were co conflict between the two. And I want to try to talk about that this morning. So God says, look, we're in a covenant. And in the Bible, a covenant is described as a marriage. It's meant to be exclusive. Worship God, worship him only. It's meant to be exclusive like a marriage. Well, they weren't interested in marrying God. They wanted to date God, right? They were interested in the dating aspect of God. What does that mean? That means simply this. They wanted all the perks and privileges of a marriage relationship, but without any of the responsibilities. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever met anybody like that? Don't raise your hand. Have you ever met anybody like that? They want, all the, they want all the perks and privileges of marriage, but they don't want any of the responsibilities. They just want to date, but they want to... Okay. Well, this is where they are. This is where they are. 
And so uh, they're worshiping, they're, they're worshiping this Baal. Right? Now, when I, here's my problem right away. Maybe you suffer with the same thing. But when I read this uh, in the Bible, I'm like, oh man, that's so primitive. You know, they're bowing down and worshiping this Baal. This, they put this big pole up or whatever that represents Baal, these Asherah poles and things like that. It just seems so primitive. It seems like, man, that's so long ago, thousands of years. Nobody would do that today. A number of years ago, um, I always had a problem with the golden calf. You know, the Moses in the book of Exodus, golden calf. Maybe they'll be showing the Charlton Heston movie this Easter season because it's a month away from Easter, right? Uh, the Ten Commandments. And I thought, you know... That golden calf, that just seems so far out of date and so primitive to me. And then I realized like, about a decade ago, you know what the golden calf represents? Money, sex, and power. Money, sex, and power. So they were bowing down and worshiping money, sex, and power. And it hit me. That's just about every headline in 2018 is the bowing down to money, to sex, and power. Check your phone. Look at your app. Look at your news app. You will find it filled today. You'll find it filled tomorrow. You'll find it filled next week and the week after that with the bowing down to money, sex, and power. So what, what does Baal represent? Baal is a fertility god. It's a fertility god. Promoted sex, ritual, religious prostitution at the temple or whatever other sites that they were worshiping uh, Baal. Baal valued uncommitted sex. Baal, Baal valued uncommitted sex versus Adonai who valued until death do us part sex. Two totally opposite things. Now, here's what we know. This is no religious grandstanding right now. We live in a great time because we have so much data and it repeats itself over and over and over again. And, and, and the data I can give you does not come from the church community. So let's take all religious stuff off for a second, right? This is just factual data that we have now. Men who have sex with multiple partners, men who uh, view women sensually or like pornography, and they had their own version of pornography back then too, just by the way, right? You do that. You begin to objectify women. It's a known fact. You dehumanize women. So that's bail. That's bail. Lots, lots of women, lots of sex, many of the guys, right? right? And they begin to dehumanize and objectify women. And God says, that's got to go. God says, that is not my value system. My value system is total respect of women. This totally disrespects of women. You have got to tear that thing down. And that's what this is all about. It's about what you worship and it's about what you value and what you lift up. They're two polar opposites. God says, you can't worship that anymore. Now in the Bible, to be a follower of Christ to be a follower of God, Adonai, right? To be a follower of God, it takes a combination, a strong combination of spirituality and courage, spirituality and bravery. Because God says, hey, Gideon, I need you to man up. I need you to go out there and tear that altar down. He does it, and what do they do? What does the community do? They rise up and say, we're going to kill you, right? So they really regretted the situation they're in. Do you know what I'm saying? They really regretted it. We're in a bad situation. They're crying, oh, get us out of this situation. It's so bad. Get us out. So they really regretted it. They just weren't interested in repenting of it. See, regretting something and repenting of something are two totally different things, right? Like if I'm, in, if I'm drowning in debt, I'm drowning in debt in my life. I'm just, oh, I'm, I'm, oh, God, get me out of debt. Get me out of debt. I can regret the situation without ever repenting of it. And the repenting is where the real action is, right? To repent of it means I spend less. Well, that doesn't feel good. 
means I cut way back. It means I live by a budget. I mean, those are hard things to do. And for them, they regretted their situation, but to repent of it means they need to turn around, need to tear that thing down, and they need to value different things, which does not feel good. And here's one of the things that gets me about the Bible. It's so fascinating because a lot of times when we talk about the Bible, we talk about God, we say, ah, yeah, you know, God, that whole God thing, that's, that's all feeling stuff, right? There's no facts there. I'm a fact person and that's a feeling thing. And here's the thing, to be a follower, like God's calling Gideon and God's called so many people to do, he's telling them to deny your feelings and just go with the facts. And what do the facts tell us? Again, we live in such a great time. When you have equality and you have integrity and you have the very things that God's name represents, right, sacrificial love and selflessness, everybody does better. Like society, boom, does better. Might not feel good, but boy, it sure does work. And that builds trust. That builds trust. This is about facts. It's not about feeling. And God says to Gideon, I need you to follow the facts, buddy. I need you to go out there. I need you to tear that down. I don't care how you feel or anybody else feels about it. You need to tear it down because that value system is wrong. We got to get rid of it. So Gideon goes to do it. They want to kill him, but they don't kill him. His dad stands up for them. And anyway, all right, I got one fill in the blank for you today. Just one, trust takes worship. I want to talk about worship for a few minutes this morning. Trust takes, what exactly is worship, everybody? What is this thing? They're worshiping Baal. They're worshiping Adonai. You know, they're kind of blending the two together, and they're an absolute mess. And God says, there's only one ruler, there's only one master, and you have got to worship me and worship me alone. What in the world is worship? What does it mean to worship the name of God? The Bible says over and over and over again about worshiping God. It says stuff like this, worship the name of the Lord. Lift up the name of God. Praise his holy name. Ascribe to the Lord glory and honor due to his name. It tells us that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. That when God lift, lift, lift up, when, when we lift, lift, lift up the name of God, when we lift the name of God, God, whew, somehow his presence is like manifest, like the manifest presence of God. Like we just sense the, God inhabits that. He, God comes flooding in when we lift lift the name of a God. John chapter 4, very interesting. Ready for this one? John 4 says, God is seeking worshipers. Seeking, seeking. And I got to be honest with you, when I, when I read that, so I was like a little kid, you know, in church, I, you know, it just goes over your head. Like, oh yeah, it's cool. That's good. But later in my teens, you start to question things. You scratch your head a little bit and say, wait a minute. What is this? What's up with this? Is God so needy? That he's got to tell everybody, hey, worship, worship, give it, give it. So like an athlete after a touchdown, gosh, yes, give it to me, give it to me. What is that? Is God that needy? Is God that self-centered? Does God need that? So what, here's the question, what do you think worship is? Think about it. Have you ever thought about it? What exactly is worship? It's to give value to something. It's to lift something up, to praise something, something that you, something that you value, worshiping the name of the Lord. What does it mean to worship the name of the Lord? Well, we've said this before. The name of God represents the character of God. So what is it in worship that you are actually lifting up? You're lifting up the honesty, the integrity, and the equality of Almighty God. So if you value, if you value honesty, if you value integrity, if you value equality, if you value sacrificial love, if you value self, 
Lessness. If you value total commitment, if you, have, if you value somebody that doesn't abandon you, if you value, if those things are valuable to you, it's the same thing that makes up trust. If you, that's a value to you and you want to lift them up, you are lifting up Almighty God because that is who God is. That's who God is. And that's what it means to worship God. Is worship, we talk about this is a worship service. I'm going to worship service, right? So what is, what is that? We come and we, we sing songs. Can you worship God by singing the songs that we sang just a few moments ago? Of course. Of course you can. But that doesn't necessarily mean that what you're doing is actual worship. So Jesus says it himself, says, you know, you praise me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So maybe we come together and maybe you really like music. Maybe you really like to feel like, oh, man, the, the music team, they're just jamming today. Yeah. You know, maybe, okay, okay. But if your life doesn't line up with that, it's just lip service, but the actions. Are you really valuing that in your own life? Is that a value, the things, what the name of God represents? So what exactly is worship? I worshiped this past week in Costco. Yes. I had a massive worship service on Friday afternoon and Costco. You ever been to Costco when it's really crowded? Anybody ever? Anybody? Costco people. Got one man right here. Costco. Crowded. Okay. Well, you all need to get a membership card and go check it out. Go there when it's like it's super crowded. And I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you one thing I noticed because I hardly ever go there. Hardly ever go there. So when you come in with fresh eyes, you see things, you know, interesting. And I noticed the, the, the people who are more senior in age, they're the fiercest fighters. Like, they're the most skilled people with that cart, that weapon, right? They, like, vroom, just coming in, man. And the younger people, they just kind of, you know, they don't know. They're, they, they're not, they haven't, they haven't learned that skill yet. And I saw two, like, 90-year-old couple, married couple, they took out this lone millennial, just, just ran them, you know. I think when I walked out, I saw the millennial, you know, in a fetal position in the corner somewhere, right? But it's a, t- it's a, it's a, it's a really tough place. It's a tough place. And a lot of action happens around the food carts. Do you know about the food carts where they, you know, just sample the food, right? There's a lot of action around the food cart. And here's what I noticed. Here's what I noticed. That I saw the cart coming up ahead, right? I saw it up there. And I just wondered to myself, I wonder what's on the cart. And I noticed I step, I just like this, just that little step. I'm telling you, when I did that step, it was like, it was like sharks. It was like, I just you know, people, and immediately like five sharks just bolted in and cut me off and just swarmed in that. And I felt sorry for the lady running the food cart because they just, rah, rah. Like her fingers were bleeding after that, right? But you know what? I worshiped. I worship. You know why? Because it's like, okay, it's okay. Patience, selflessness, sacrifice. I said, go ahead. I just stepped back. I didn't get mad. I didn't get angry. I said, oh, no, go ahead. Go, go, go. No, I'm, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. <laughs> You seem as if you haven't eaten in months. I'm not hungry, you know. I eat all day. Go ahead. It's patience. Just live selflessness. That's worship. I'm lifting it up, right? I did that. And then I, so I was there about an hour and um, checkout area. Now, here's what I learned about the checkout area. That's the front lines of battle right there, everybody. So, so Costco puts their fiercest fighters Right? That's like Omaha Beach, right? They put their fiercest fighters at the checkout area. When I'm pulling up, to, I'm, there was a couple people who got scared and they like went away from it. The, they were going to the back. They might be still there at Costco right now, <laughs> right? Because they got scared of the battle that was there. And you didn't even have to step towards a checkout line, I noticed. You didn't have to step. The, the, the skilled people 
They could read your mind. And when you even thought, I'm going to that line, man, they just came in with that cart. Man, it happened to me like three times in a row and really rudely, you know what I'm saying? Just they, that face, you know. And after it happened the third time, I said, you know what I said? I'm done with worship. I said, man, this, this worship thing, I am, I am, I'm over the worship thing. And I just, I just jumped into the fray. What is worship? It's when you lift up the name of God, who, who God is. Would, would the entire culture of Costco be transformed if everybody was selfless? If everybody had sacrificial love? Oh, you know, you go. No, you have the last whatever it is there on the food cart. Wait, you, you have it. You have it. It's all yours. It would change culture. Would your life be changed if you lifted it up? Would your home be changed? Hey, every, every great relationship, every great marriage is based off of one thing, right? Selflessness, period. Transformative. Change, it would change everything. If you value that, if that is lifted up, if that is praised, and that's what it represents, to praise and lift up God's holy name. The first leadership lesson I ever learned as a pastor, right, and I'm reading a book or I was at a leadership conference or something. Here's the first one I ever learned, right? What you lift up, what you praise, what you pay, what you reward, what you talk about, right? Whatever you lift up, whatever is rewarded gets repeated. Whatever is rewarded gets repeated. So when you lift something up, like in your home or amongst your at your place of business, your office, or your staff, or as a country, or as a people, what you lift up and praise and pay gets repeated, and it sets the tone for all of culture. What you do, right? So what, what do we lift up? It shapes culture. We are going through what many people call right now a national reckoning, that women are disrespected. And I'm thinking as I'm reading through this, oh my gosh, this is Judges chapter 6. Somebody, oh, the Bible's so outdated. Oh, really? This is Judges chapter 6 to a T. God says, whoa, everybody's to be respected. Do not do that. Over here, Baal says, oh, no, no, no. Sex sells. So you can't, you can't lift up, hey, let's have respect over here and over here use women in a sexual way to sell every product under the sun. And, a, and, and, and the brain of a person, it doesn't, it, it, there's a massive conflict. And so God says, you've got to tear that down. That's got to go. You can't value that anymore. You have to rip that down because the way that you're living is creating chaos and bondage and there is not freedom. Okay. Will we regret it? Or will we repent of it? If we regret it, we're sorry for it, but we're really not going to change. Or will we repent of it and go a different way? Now, how about you? How about me in my own life? What do I value? What do I lift up? What do I praise? Is he Adonai to me? Is he my ruler? Is he my master? Because that's what it really means, right? Okay, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to lift up your value system. I'm going to praise it because I see the wisdom in it. I see how it makes my life better. It makes the world around me better. Oh, my gosh. It's just factually true. It is so, it is so wise. It sets 
culture. It changes culture. If you want your life to change, if you want your home to change, if you want your neighborhood to change, if you want your workplace, if you want the culture in your world and the big world around you to change, you begin to lift up and praise without mixing in, no syncretism. You begin to lift up and praise, tear down the altar to Baal, and you lift up God's name and God's name alone, selflessness, sacrificial love, honesty, integrity. You begin to praise that. It'll change culture. It does that in a massive way. I just, um, read something uh, actually recently thinking, because I was thinking a lot about worship, and I read this. This is by Tony Evans. He's an African-American pastor in uh, Dallas, Texas, of all places. I love everything about him except for the Dallas, Texas part. Uh, but he wrote something. He wrote something here, right? So he's older. I guess Tony Evans is maybe 70-ish years old now. And so he wrote something about worship, and I, 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 I thought it was good. And, and I'll remind you this before I read this. You know in the Scripture it talks about putting the worshipers out front? Like when you're going into war to do something for God, they would put the worship, they put the people who would lift up the value, lift up the name of God, lift up what God stands for, put the worshipers out front. That's how the battle. Now, with that in mind, it's a long quote, so settle in. Here we go. This aspect of worship is very meaningful to the African American community. We witnessed this way of dealing with our enemies in the march to Selma on the steps of the State House in Montgomery, Alabama, and in cities all across the Deep South. When the authorities came, perpetrating a system of ungodliness, ungodliness, the marchers went to their knees. They sang and prayed, and the federal government sent troops to protect the freedom marchers. Every time they came up against a dog, a billy club, or a hate-filled person, they got down on their knees and prayed, and they worshiped. They worshiped. Then the Black Panthers came, not with prayers and hymns, but with bullets. They did not change any laws. The federal government did not send troops to protect that. A Panther's bullet isn't the reason African Americans are not riding at the back of the bus. It's because marchers got on their knees and they worshiped. The reason I can eat anywhere is that men got on their knees and worshiped. Worship change the laws of the land. All he is trying to say here is what is being presented to us all throughout the Bible, and particularly in Judges chapter 6, is that when you lift up the value of who God is in God's name, honesty, integrity, equality, sacrificial love, selflessness, when you lift it up, you are worshiping God. And the Bible says, will you worship God? Will you? God is seeking worshipers. Will you lift those up? Because it will change your world and the world around you. And that's what it means to worship Almighty God. Now, I want to conclude with this. Uh, love the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago. Anybody watch the Super Bowl? Okay. I thought it was fantastic. I could care less who won the game. I just wanted to be a good game, and my goodness, was it a great game. Second-year coach, backup quarterback, Right? You've got, uh, you've got the Patriots that never punted. Brady, who throws for over 500 yards. You would have to play the perfect game to win against the Patriots on that day. And that's pretty much what the Eagles did. And I tell you what, I could care less who won the game. But when they went for it on fourth and one, when they threw that pass, I, I, I thought I was going to pass out. It's like I was so nervous for them. And they interviewed the quarterback, Foles, afterwards. He's like, so are you nervous? No, I wasn't nervous at all wasn't nervous at all. And some of those throws, he would just slink. I'm thinking, how could you throw that pass, right? 30, 40, 50 yards, such a tight little window. Do you know how? You know how they, you know how they trusted each other to do that? You know how they trusted to actually go for it at fourth and one when the entire world for them was on the line, the Super Bowl? Do you know how they did that? Because they had run those plays over 
and over and over and over and over again. Same way trust is built, everybody. Trust is built by repetition. It's what we praise and worship and lift up over and over and over and over again. You know how long an NFL, average NFL play takes? Four seconds. Four seconds. It's not like they're out there, you know, for hours. What I'm going to ask you to do in a minute, I'm not going to ask you to get down on your knees and pray for three or four hours. I'm not going to ask you to do that. Although if you want to, please do. Okay? But I'm going to ask you to do something that takes really short bursts. I'm going to call it trust drills. Trust drills. Because as you read through the story of Gideon in Judges 6 and 7, you'll see, you'll see this. Gideon had about that much trust in God. Just, just a tiny bit. He reminds you of the father that said to Jesus, I trust you build my trust. I trust you, build my trust. And God runs them through all these, these little things over and over, little steps, little steps, little steps, and that's how trust is built. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want to call this trust drills. We are, can you believe we're a month away-ish from Easter, right? And I would love for us to run trust drills to build our faith all the way up to Easter. Now, here's the thing. God only has nine plays. He does not have a playbook filled with a thousand plays. God has nine plays. He runs nine plays. That's all he runs. He runs them over and over and over again. And he says, if you'll run these plays, you will win the Super Bowl. Run these nine plays. And God wants to build our trust in these nine, these nine plays. So I'm going to ask you to do this. Don't feel any pressure. Would you mind taking out your phone? You don't have to do it. I'm going I'm I'm to offer you a text to join group. And I'm going to explain it to you right up front what I'm going to do so that you're not nervous, like I don't want to join something else. I'll explain it to you right up front, okay? It's very simple to do, this text to join. You're going to get one text a day in the morning. I'm going to give you the play of the day, and I'm going to pray for you. It's going to be a very short text, not a long text, because NFL plays are only four seconds, and... My attention span is very short too, okay? So it's going to be very short. You might get a second text, but at a max, you'll get two a day. And the second one will be very short. It'll be like, okay, run the play again. It'll be like that. Run it again. Okay? That it all, all it'll be. All right? So that's it. You can stop it at any time if you don't want to do it. Are we good? So here's what you do if you want to join it, right? And the instructions for this will be on Facebook if you don't follow me in the next few moments. You text the word trust. It's on the screen behind me. Online, it's on the screen in front of you. Text the word trust to eight. Four, five, seven, six. Within about 15 seconds of doing that, you're going to get a bounce back text to tell you to click this link. When you click on that link, here's the important part. You just put your name, first name, last name, your email address. Okay? First name. That'll, that'll make total sense to you, but here's where you really need to listen. There's just a couple, couple steps left, and it's, it's very simple. You hit save, you hit next, then it's going to tell you to create a password, and you're not going to do it. You're not interested in creating a password, okay? So I'm going to review it real quick. After you text, you get a bounce back text. You hit the link. You put in your name and your email address. You click Save, Next, and then go straight to your email. You do not need to create a password. You do not need to create a password. Go straight to your email. You verify it, and you're in. When you get a text from me tomorrow morning, and I will not text you at 5 a.m., I'll wait till, how about 7.30, some, somewhere around. Somewhere after 7 o'clock, I will text you because I know you're all up raring to go, okay? I'll text you. I'll text you the play of the day. There's only nine. We're going to run them through three times each. And here's my thing. I want to pray for you. And I hope you're going to pray for me, and I hope you're going to pray for everybody else. I'm sure we'll have hundreds of people that have participated in this. And there is power in community prayer. 
There is power in community prayer. That The Bible's clear about that. We can pray for each other. We can change the culture of our own lives and our homes and our place of businesses and in our neighborhoods. We need the power of God. Tomorrow's play is going to be about Elohim creating something in us, creating something in me that will change my life and change my culture and change the culture around me. It's going to be about worshiping God and lifting up God's holy God's holy name, okay? So again, instructions will be on uh, Facebook. Let me say one last thing, because when you get the bounce back and you're going to see this email or whatever, that, it's from a company, it's a pastor designed this thing, and it's called Flock Note. Flo- yes. And if you, if you say it really fast or too much, you're going to be cussing. So just be careful. <laughs> Us pastors, we don't think it. We're so innocent, except for me. And the moment I saw it, I'm like, oh, no. Flock Note. So... Um, Anyway, be careful. Just I want to say be careful, okay? Uh, but this is really important. Now, what, what I would love to do now, uh, today's the last day we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together, and it's actually really important that we do this today, okay? Because our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Everybody, we, you know this is true. What we read in the Bible, what we read about God, what we understand about God, what we understand the names of God, you already know this is true. Your neighbors know this is true. We already want this. Yes, sacrificial love is what we need in our world. Selflessness, honesty, and integrity and equality is what we need. So when we pray this prayer today, I'm going to ask you, would you pray it with all your heart? Hallowed be thy name. I'm lifting up selflessness. I'm praising a God of selflessness and sacrificial love, a God of equality. This is who you are. This is what we praise, and this is what our world desperately needs. It leads us to the joys of freedom, and they were living in the joys of bondage. They were miserable and in chaos. Will you pray from your heart, all of us in this room, all of us online, we stand together and unite our prayers with God We're hollowing your name. We're lifting it up because, Lord, you know we need it. Okay? Let's stand together and pray. All right. Pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.